So I think first part of it is to practice in a way practice detachment mm-hmm. how you can sort of do it in day to day life letting go of certain things which you feel is very essential but it's in a way not very meaningful Hi everyone I'm Hetty Holmes and you're listening to Hacking Happiness with Dose a podcast that explores what makes us feel good to improve our mental physical spiritual and emotional well-being whether it's a dopamine hit from reaching a career goal a rush of oxytocin from spending time with loved ones a surge of serotonin from practicing self-care or a fitness class to send endorphins soaring everyone's definition of what makes us feel good is very different my next guest Dr Matthew Ayurvedic doctor who's worked previously at Ananda in the Himalayas and is now based in the UK is here to tell me about his So tell us a little bit about Ayurveda because for a lot of people listening to the podcast today they might not have ever really heard about it as a philosophy so yeah if you were to tell us about it that Yeah I, I part of my work here in in UK is mainly educating rather than treating people with uh, uh, chronic illnesses because a lot of this treatment is about self awareness yeah. and understanding what's good for you what's not good for you so Ayurveda I try to simplify the definition into something really really simple it's it's traditional medicine from india yeah that's the simplest definition but uh, also it's like a user manual mm. how to use your body you get to use a manual with every uh, you know headphones and mics and everything that you buy mm. but uh, you, you 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 look through it it's very simplified way of how to utilize it similarly our body needs a manual how to use it yeah. uh, not just sort of like a standard manual for everyone Mm. there is a unique one for every product yeah. so similarly our body is different identifying that difference mm. and then learning how to use it properly yeah. yeah that's ayurveda wow and there's different dosha types aren't there tell us a little bit about those yeah so uh, the first part of the user manual is yeah. basically looking at this picture which all user manual has and it sort of marks what part is what what mm-hmm. it does so similarly in ayurveda we Uh, sort of avoid looking at the body as a collection of tissues organs chemicals and them functioning on its own mm. and try to see that collective action of all of these coming together mm. and to define that collective action we uh, simplified the way body functions into just three set of functions mm. uh, at any given point of time body has only three functions mm. first one we call it as vata v a t a vata which basically in sanskrit language means like air yeah. so it's denoting all the movements anything moving within the body or in the mind uh, so physical mental emotional anything moving circulation your movement of food through your digestive system your bones and joints nervous system all of that together mm. we classify it together as one function mm. and call it as vata so it's not essentially a type mm. it is a set of function in your body similarly the second one uh, pitta mm. p i t t a it's easy to remember like pita bread mm. yes. the next that's routine. apparently the one that i'm having imbalance in apparently yes i, I think it's also an effect of this um, london urban environment yeah. uh, we can't escape it so yeah. pitta is fire so in our body it indicates all the functions related to transformation Mm-hmm. you know fire is not just about heat and burning fire is about something changing to something else mm-hmm. and in that process there is a release of heat energy mm. so similarly in our body our digestion is our key 
transformation function. So uh, that's the main function of pitta. Mm -hmm. This also functions related to enzymes, hormones. Inside our mind, any sort of transformative thought process, mm -hmm. anything which is focused, analytical, all those factors inside our mind, all these together we call it as pitta. Mm -hmm. And the third one, kapha, K-A-P-H-A. Kapha is uh, more sort of the functions related to nourishment. So mm -hmm. gaining weight issues related to breathing, all of that happens if this function goes out of balance. It's like water and earth, mm -hmm. heavy grounding, nourishing by its effect. It's necessary for tissue development, tissue repair. If there is something going wrong, how it can be repaired. It's also necessary for improving memory recollection. So all these functions are necessary, mm -hmm. but if it goes out of balance, it tends to create that watery, earthy, heaviness, lethargy, all of that. So three doshas are not three categories. Mm -hmm. They are three set of functions happening in every person. Mm. We understand everybody is unique, so we all have a unique balance. Like you mentioned, you are tilting towards pitta. That doesn't mean that vata and kapha is absent. Mm. It's still there, but we are focusing on the problem maker. Yeah. And is that what people find when they come to the, to the Ananda Spa, is that they have a, an, an Ayurvedic assessment to show where they're kind of imbalanced in the body and then their whole program is tailored around that? That's, that's, that's entirely correct. So Ananda is basically uh, everything written in a textbook applied in its perfect sense. So yeah. you come to the place, everybody starts with a consultation with an Ayurvedic doctor, lasts for an hour and we understand their imbalance and then plan everything based on that. It could be their treatment plan, even activities, food, everything is planned based on the dosha. We don't, the menu itself is, there are three menus, mm. vata, pitta, and kapha. Yeah. So you can't actually uh, be there without knowing what is your body type. Yeah. Like. So we often start this podcast by talking about, you know, people's careers and burnout is a really very serious element that's plaguing a lot of people now. Mm -hmm. And do you find a lot of people come to, to Ananda to, to really cope with burnout and to, you know, to put practice in place to kind of help them get back on track? Yes, I think Ananda, the, the location of Ananda is in uh, a place called Rishikesh, which is known as the uh, sort of the birthplace of yoga and spirituality even if if you ask somebody who has done uh, yoga training in india they might have almost surely done it somewhere near rishikesh it's mm -hmm. in the foothill of himalayas it's in near the uh, holy river ganges so the area itself is known for its uh, spiritual teaching and in fact i think that's one of the very few places in india just besides the river it's even illegal to uh, serve meat or cook meat. So really? there is a patch of land where you can't actually have anything mm. non-vegetarian. You it, you are legally has to be vegetarian. Wow, yeah, uh, very spiritual. We are not exactly in that spot. We overlook the uh, city. So Ananda is slightly on top of the hill. Mm. So that is the principle. Once you move away from an urban place, which is quite hectic, fast, and mm. um, really sort of winding up the the spring mm. we are yeah um, a place like this is exactly opposite to that yeah i think the biggest luxury we find there even as people who work there is the luxury of time mm. because um, time slows mm. in front of you and you can see that 
who you are and what impacts you from the nature mm. what's good for you all of that reveals to you yeah. when you are in such a different pace yeah yeah and it allows time for introspection as well i imagine introspection and also um, i think um, healing in itself mm. only happens when we feel safe and when we slow down mm. both of these are very much essential for any form of healing even if it's a wound healing on your skin on superficial something or something deeper mm. if it is emotional mental all of these tend to get sort of dug into a deeper hole and kept there stored if you are in a very fast pace mm. not allowing that slowness to look back into you and then observe it and analyze it and feel safe mm. while doing it yeah it's very important to actually heal so yes you, you you're right mm. you need to be in a slower pace to look inside and heal yeah and it's very human after all and uh, you've you've heard probably about the dopamine fasting craze that's going on at the moment it's the silicon valley types that are really spearheading it but it essentially it I mean it's very similar to what you're talking about it's getting rid of all the clutter and the the stimulation from our devices and our computers and our work to just actually allow some time to kind of go in and and actually look at the self and kind of recalibrate. Yeah, I, I think Silicon Valley do come up with very trendy uh, topics like this, but yeah. I think Ayurveda is very uh, traditional and ancient. It has uh, philosophies which have been applied practically and it the philosophies are not just spiritual concept but mm. spiritual concepts applied in daily life. Yeah. So for example this idea of dopamine fasting, uh, I was reading about it after you mentioned yeah. because it was uh it felt a little bit wrong because yeah it it is it, i don't like mixing up um n- sort of scientific terms with spiritual situations yeah, because yeah. it it has a ends up having a very different meaning so uh, i think the the ancient concept in ayurveda in in indian philosophy is that uh, every person has this three different energies mm. going inside one is called satvik or sattva Mm-hmm. then there is rajas uh, and the third one is tamas the satvic energy is uh, the the easiest sort of translation is uh, like a divine energy inside us mm. which is basically what uh, promotes our actions towards kindness caring and also sometimes doing things even if it is uh, for a moment painful mm. physically or even emotionally for ourselves we end up doing it for the bigger meaning of it so mm. that's our satvic godly nature inside us rajas is like raja in if you have heard maharaja mm-hmm. raja is uh, like a king yeah it's that uh, stimulating achieving nature inside us which we want to do things and we want to actually um, possess things and find solutions and we are like fire like a king trying to achieve different things and the tamas is the literal translation is like darkness but it is part of our energy which is mainly related to our basic instincts our um hunger and thirst and all those basic sleep and all those basic body functions mm. that's related to tamas most of our activities and external environment uh, in an urban lifestyle is stimulating and more towards tamas mm-hmm. rajas and tamas and once we are able to sort of nurture the satvic energy which is very much possible 
through even changes in diet, changes in environment, mm. changes in routine and activity. So when we do that, then we actually see the effect of improved sort of a, um, a better awareness, better mm. awareness of the meaning and the divinity inside us. Mm. And that makes more sense to me than just... Uh, um, sort of thinking about dopamine. Yeah, no, that, a, totally. No, yeah. it does. But I mean, thinking about, you know, you know, finding that spirituality inside us. I mean, I, I've just had a baby. She's seven months old now. And I've never felt more kind of connected and like I know myself because my body was prioritizing something else. And it actually, it was a really beautiful phase in my life because it allowed me to practice a lot more self-care. I was yeah. going to bed early. I was eating properly because I was actually, you know, nurturing something else. Yeah, I think uh, childbirth actually is the closest physically we come near to that concept of divinity yeah uh, so it is it is actually quite a divine experience totally. which can very positively impact every other aspects of life yeah. yeah so talking about this divinity do you think that as a culture i mean especially in the west that we've we've lost well, a lot of us look out, look for these communities elsewhere you know through our gyms and through our studios and and we're trying to find meaning through them instead because we don't we don't go to church as much we've kind of lost our spiritual connectedness do you think that's a, a real growing problem in the west that's maybe causing a lot of anxiety anxiety and and even depression because we've we kind of lack purpose definitely i think uh, the overall purpose of life is uh, very uh, a complex subject which cannot be unfortunately explained through what we know as science mm. at the moment it has to be um, explained using a different sort of scale and a technique and spirituality is an essential factor because human beings are um, very close to being divine and we actually understand that and if we don't put it into practical application and make it into our regular practice it's very difficult to understand the meaning of all these um, actions and and mm. the the crazy running that we do mm. why is it for and what's the purpose of it and definitely spirituality is uh, is an essential part of uh, what i practice in ayurveda because uh, you know, we always, we have recently started talking about uh, psychosomatic illnesses and how the mind and the body is interacting with each other. And I think Ayurveda is always has been a psychosomatic and spiritual sort of a science which uh, uh, in every treatment plan, any any sort of person needing help in taking care of their health, there is no division of physical health or mental health. Mm. There is an equal uh, sort of focus going on to physical aspects of the treatment, mental and emotional aspect and spiritual aspect as well. Mm -hmm. It is very hard to divide these three aspects in every treatment plan. So it's so mostly when, when somebody asks me about mental health or spiritual well-being, it is not separate from the physical aspect. It is part of an everyday routine and lack of it will lead to the mind straying into experimental, mm. uh, trendier sort of forms mm. of approach, which is not always the safest, I think. No, I mean, have you seen this documentary that's come out on Netflix about Vikram? I mean, I knew this was going to happen at some point because obviously this was happening back in probably 2012 that it was all starting to come out about what was going on behind the scenes. But yeah, I mean, you probably know more than I do about this, but he essentially was a, is a guru, right? He's a kind of a yoga guru that people, it's a hot yoga practice that people got very addicted to. And he kind of used his power to cross certain boundaries. Yeah, I did, I did watch the uh, documentary in 
um la, a couple of days ago yeah. so i was aware of it but uh, the the idea of guru a teacher a, a, a guide is is very common prevalence in in india everybody mm-hmm. who finishes sort of a, a regular university study of ayurveda like i have done will also want to have somebody to hold your hand and guide you through the actual practice mm-hmm. once you come out but the guru has to be a channel uh towards the higher sort of purpose of what you are doing there mm. guru shouldn't be the center of the whole process when you actually um sort of uh, uh make your make your uh, yoga in your own name and try to sell it as a product that itself loses its uh, essence and then i i wouldn't consider it as a good sort of a guru practice no you are not actually the creator you are only the teacher yeah. when you create something in your own name that itself creates a, a doubt in in somebody who knows about this mm. uh, concept of teaching or learning from a guru yeah because it, it's not very spiritual his type of practice is it it's all physical it's kind of holding postures and sweating it's just it's a kind of detoxification process more than anything i think part of a my practice in in ayurveda also teaches about uh, learning how to be content mm. and that process of becoming content with uh, what you have and what you know involves yourself coming out of comfort zones yeah. which you have created for yourself mm-hmm. i think looking at that you know i have not done hot yoga myself mm-hmm. will never do that because i am from kerala yeah. which is already very hot yeah, so yeah exactly why you would you want to put yourself yeah, in a hot room true yeah. <laughs> so uh, i think what i seeing that documentary what i figured out is i think some of the people who did that benefited from it because the the procedure of hot yoga and the learning techniques that he implemented was taking them out of the comfort zone mm. which in itself creates a a sort of a, a experience which leads to learning how to be content yeah. with a lot of other things so yeah it did act positively for a lot of people but i don't think you should uh, sort of it, it is towards the signs that you have to have your feeling of mm. uh, gratitude not towards a person who mm. teaches you that guru has its own different role yeah. and the science has a very different uh, value yeah because as the documentary shows it can go very wrong you know people yeah, misplace com- their trust completely yeah, yeah. I, i never sort of uh, you know uh, go behind a guru who says that he is a guru yeah because yeah. no, then the ego is there and then you just think yeah who are they really as a person are they just trying to make money are they just trying to build a brand which is very very anti spiritual yeah i don't think there was anything spiritual in this uh, hot yoga bikram yoga concept they were sort of creating a, a business sort of exactly. a yeah industry basically yeah mass industry <laughs> yeah so you talked about contentment which is interesting because a lot of the time people are charging about you know looking for these quick highs these quick fixes to kind of make them feel good you know it's something we talk a lot a lot about at dose um but actually contentment is a really good discipline isn't it because it's actually you've got to be happy with the kind of mundane every day and you've got to put in place little hacks that kind of give you give you joy but not necessarily spikes of happiness because it's got to be sustainable i think both extremes are bad too yeah. much of happiness will eventually lead to too much of sadness at yeah. some point because in uh, in in a indian philosophy we have this concept of defining how to uh, you know how happiness is defined is is uh, it is defined as a favorable sort of exposure 
favorable exposure to anything will create happiness and if it's unfavorable then it creates sadness and the key factor is the perception of favorable and unfavorable is inside your head mm. and it's based on the circumstance around you mm. and both of these change so being very much caught up in things that makes you really happy or staying away from things that make you even a little bit sad mm. is not actually a sustainable method i think the sustainable method is to understand that that's the concept of karma yeah you have to do things which you are uh, meant to do mm. even if it is slightly painful effortful or maybe not immediately productive like maybe when you start a podcast mm. you will not see it as the number one in uk exactly. or the world yes. but it is your karma it is your dharma mm. the righteous work that you have to do yeah. the result will come yeah. and if you want to worry it's it's a choice you yeah. can worry but if you want to be happy it's also a choice you actually yeah. get to do both you have the opportunity to do both in fact yeah it's it's not instant is it it's, we call it like grafting you know i i love people we were just talking to my podcaster beforehand about you know she's worked from the age of 18 you know she, every job she's really slogged away at it and she's got 20 years through hard work whereas you know you hear about a lot of you know young kids joining offices today that just feel like they're above photocopying and you know they they don't they don't have the energy to put into these things because they're above it and they they want this they want to be in that job from the moment they start you know they want to be at the top and it it doesn't happen like that. Yeah, I think it also comes down to the idea of gratitude and also seeing that what you have mm. is is sufficient then you actually uh, feel sort of comfortable in what you're doing and open towards learning new things and learning new skills. So it, this is this is mainly the uh, the concept in Ayurveda that if you are very much in your body mm. which is a site of pain and pleasure mm. both at the same time you are going to experience things in extremes mm. whereas if you are more into your deeper into your soul your awareness is more inwards and more inside inside your soul looking at your soul then pain and pleasure both becomes uh, irrelevant mm. it is uh, you know the easy way to sort of think about it is like a pendulum yeah our mind is the pendulum and it's taken towards body towards one side which is the body the extreme with the help of our senses all our senses interacting with things around us towards one side and when we actually create a moment of silence mm. when we are looking into us without any distraction from our five senses mm. and just purely focusing on that consciousness the pendulum gradually moves towards the other side mm. where pain and pleasure is irrelevant which is what is basically soul yeah. or spirit and that's a place where that satvic energy or divine energy is at its maximum mm. and the other side the body is where tamas and the rajasic energy is at its maximum it's very relevant for my treatments also if yeah. somebody is suffering from a chronic illness if you are very much stuck up at the body phase Mm. all your symptoms will be augmented multiple times mm. even without a very, very visible cause mm. uh, and disproportionate to the actual cause behind it so once you actually attain a certain dosha balance through your physical practice it's also important to be aware of this sort of a structure so that you can have those quiet moments and create sort of an ananda like experience mm. at home at your inside your body mm. wherever you are 
and then allow your body to heal time to time mm. without having to take a break and run away. Yeah. yeah. And so I mean we're seeing a massive rise in meditation now, aren't we? Because people are realizing that they need to slow down, that they're burning out through their insane jobs, the frenetic pace of the world around them. So I mean, but a lot of people struggle with meditation because they think it means you have to sit cross-legged in a lotus pose, you know. They don't know that it, walking your dog can be a form of meditation, you know. Everyone's got their own method. Yeah, I think it, the the problem is copying the exact meditation practices say from India mm. and then trying to apply it here. So for example, sitting cross-legged is the most comfortable sitting posture if you ask me. Mm. I would love to sit cross-legged right now yeah. rather than sort <laughs> well, of yeah. being stuck in yeah. this chair <laughs> because at home we would yeah. eat our food on a banana leaf yeah. and and we are sitting on the floor cross-legged. Mm. So doing meditation the cross-legged is the principle is you have to be comfortable. Yeah. If you can't sit cross-legged, then that's the most uh, wrong idea. That that that's the way you have to meditate. Now, meditation is is like a, you know, it it is not like just starting to uh, shut your eyes and then immediately imagine calmness. Uh, meditation is about a. It's like a gym. It's a mm. mind gym. Mm. It involves a structured approach. A lot of people have spend a lot of time. Uh, mindfully sort of doing research on mm. this and then find out methods of doing it there are different methods of meditation and those methods are supposed to make it simpler to reach that phase so immediately if you try to just jump into meditation it is supposed to be uh, difficult and your mind will drift and you will be uh, distracted all of this is supposed to happen because the first step of meditation is in body control mm. you have to be able you have to have that ability to control and keep your body still at any comfortable posture whether it is sitting down on a chair mm. or on the floor wherever so you need to be comfortable physically the second step towards meditation what we call as pranayama which is breathing mm. breath awareness so you have to have a proper breath awareness a proper practice which improves your awareness of breathing because breathing is a is a very interesting body function it's uh, all the muscles involved in breathing they're all sort of uh, involuntary muscles controlled mm. by our uh, um our nervous system which is which is not directly uh, controlled by our thought but then we can also control our breathing mm. so both these actions sort of merge there and our nervous system is quite accessible Mm. through breathing if we learn to control our breathing we in fact there are a lot of sages who have practiced practiced meditation for a long time and gained ability to reduce their blood pressure immediately or temperature mm. change their body temperature just by breathing and thinking about it. it's not a magic trick it's mm. how we can influence our involuntary body function how we can influence our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system mm. by controlling the breath so body control breath control the third step is controlling your senses mm. so you need silence you need to have a one point focus on either a particular stimulus or a candle or a sound mm. you can choose and it can be nothing also it's up to you so you need to have a control on your senses then meditation happens mm. you don't have to do meditation mm. then there are different steps of after this uh, what we call as pratyahara or control of the senses then 
there is dhyana dharana dhyana and samadhi which are different deeper um, experiences of meditation which happens when you are doing this first three steps mm. and it's that simple you can do it at home so a lot of people go out there looking for some big meaning in the in the big wide world or there's a, a expression someone told me that you know you don't have to go to the antarctic you can just open the window or you know you you, could, you don't have to find yourself in in east india you can you know find yourself at home isn't there a, a sufi parable about a man that loses his keys and the, his neighbor says oh why are you looking out there for your keys you know your keys are in in your home and it's that idea of you know you actually you have all the tools already that you you need it's about digging into them and yeah, understanding yeah true you have to eventually gain that ability to see in, inside you that space called happiness yeah it's already there it's just uh, finding out where it is and how you can actually interact with it in a day to day basis without having to uh, go somewhere or do something really difficult to do it, yeah. that's the idea yes yeah so what are some really common um, issues that you see in your practice so so people that come to you so uh, my practice in when i was in ananda most of the most of the practice was aimed at people who are mostly aware of ayurveda and mm-hmm. they are also sort of interested in uh, they might have health issues which they are taking medicine for mm. from the conventional medicine but they also want to do their bit Mm. try to understand what we can do in terms of diet in terms of activities detoxification so that was a sort of practice which was focused on cleansing trying to understand what sort of diet was good for them learning also teaching how to cook that properly in a mm. different cuisine doesn't have to be indian cuisine everywhere and in fact it's not good to have indian cuisine mm. when you're not in india so that was my practice in the last 3 years when i moved to uk it's mostly uh, you know sometimes people call me an ayurvedic gp sometimes mm-hmm. people who come to see me doesn't know how to say ayurveda yeah have no clue what is vata pitta kapha is yeah. they might have heard of someone that uh, got benefit by doing uh, a different kind of diet mm. uh, some herbs so i try to use mostly uh, powders and natural herbs mm-hmm. a diet change as well as i plan a routine for people and most common illnesses that i see is uh, related to different autoimmune conditions um, it could be even arthritis or or skin related symptoms uh, gut related issues digestive issues lot of long standing intolerances inflammations mm. um, i do see a couple of people who have gone through the whole chemotherapy radiotherapy and then wants to do a different sort of care for themselves to prevent um, these issues from coming again so it could be any form of chronic illnesses i don't have any painkiller i don't have anything which will immediately resolve your symptoms mm. uh, it is it is basically learning from what you do you go through a a diet pattern to understand what's suitable for you and then take herbs initially to deal with the symptoms help your body heal faster mm. uh, and then you learn to manage it properly with diet itself mm so it's a very holistic kind of picture isn't it i think that's a necessity in this in this country i think the healthcare system is exceptionally good even though it's a bit sort of stretched out mm. but it's it's really good and uh, people do understand uh, medicines are medicines mm. they're not like things to pop uh every day when you have any sort of a discomfort mm. people do understand that uh, some amount of uh, self care is necessary 
diet is very important all of that but i think the the pace at which some of these uh, uh, patient doctor interactions happen even if it's a gp or a um, very senior consultant mm. the pace is really fast which is not enough to communicate the real cause behind the health issue mm. so it's very good the modern system is very effective in dealing with immediate crisis mm. but not preventing the situation from happening again or creating a support system where the person can actually take it with them learn every day while doing it mm. and also help everybody in the family a lot of people who start doing ayurveda will end up actually doing the diet or the fasting or the um some of the herbs together with everybody which is which is really beautiful i think yeah and what do you think about the rise in you know people using cbd and you know medicinal mushrooms and things like that to support their well-being are you in favor of that so i don't uh, favor treating sort of on your own if you don't know what it is and what it can do to you long term even even if i prescribe herbal medicine they are all for very short term mm. with a particular goal and i never recommend any supplements or i don't recommend taking a particular herb for life mm. herbs are actually supposed to help you in achieving a particular goal and then you have to stop some of these supplements which we buy nowadays on in 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 shops they are they are just uh, uh, a one way approach of you taking it continuously without any particular goal and if you stop it then you lose the effect of it mm. which is not ideal with any herb a herb is not supposed to take over Mm. a role that your body does naturally it's like it, you build a tolerance to it yeah you you build a tolerance to it and most of the time in ayurveda we recommend not to take herbs for a very long time because your body doesn't learn if you don't give it the opportunity to learn yeah if you actually give the external help for a very long time body get used to it and and that's not the benefit that we want Mm. from these natural remedies so all of them are good cbd is good a lot of people have i don't personally uh, prescribe mm. cbd or suggest cbd because i don't know enough it's my lack of knowledge but i have people who have come to me saying that they have taken cbd and has got so and so benefits mm. and i definitely trust them and i do encourage people to use it from good place and and with proper guidance mm-hmm. but never take it forever it's yeah. not actually a, a a stick to hold too long mm. and what do you think about using it with yoga at the same time as yoga can you can you imagine that that would be a useful thing to do uh i think it it is it is like any other things like eating healthy along with yoga is good yeah. uh, there's nothing more um n- no extra advantage of using any particular herbs or anything with yoga yoga is completely sort of a philosophy and a cure method on its own mm. you just don't need anything else to yeah augment its effect yeah and so you also talk in ayurveda about social well-being so obviously that with the rise of devices you know we're we're kind of connected in a digital sense but we're losing our connections with you know real people when you're walking down the street you you don't really make eye contact anymore people are more disconnected in physical sense than ever before so what does ayurveda teach us in terms of social well-being and connectedness i think uh, the the whole concept of satvic energy or or uh the godly or divine nature is that it is the connectedness and it's the uh the, it's finding you and the 
same energy as you in everybody around you and finding that commonness mm. in every individual and every living being around you and it is also very important for healing you cannot actually heal if you don't have that sattvic energy so ayurveda always focuses on the necessity of a a community and i think churches and even pubs to some extent mm. in this country used to do that well, sort of fitness studios fit- now yeah nowadays thing. it has changed to fitness studios or sometimes these gurus yeah <laughs> but i think i think uh, these are necessity mm. uh, it is very difficult to achieve a proper state of healing without something which is uh, resembling uh, the community effect of uh, say a church or a any sort of community experience it is very much necessary for healing mm. so yeah as as a society like i said before so we're, we're always kind of chasing down these highs and like like we mentioned before the kind of endorphin rushes and we mentioned about contentedness so like what what tips can you give people out there who are kind of struggling that kind of are looking for this quick fix and and want to know the meaning of life very quickly like what can you teach them about contentedness see the uh, traditional method you know in 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 india it is it is very common to sort of do certain rituals on a regular basis some of them are like uh, uh, going on a pilgrimage or uh, doing something like uh, you know most of these festivals they are about coming together and visiting someone who you may not have visited uh, i think letting go of the things that you feel is very important for you and then uh, choosing something which has a higher meaning like visiting someone letting go of that um, that extra coffee that you are having or mm-hmm. uh, chocolate that you are having so i think first part of it is to practice in a way practice detachment mm-hmm. how you can sort of do it in day to day life letting go of certain things which you feel is very essential but it's in a way not very meaningful mm. let go of it let go of sugar do a fasting for a fixed period of time with proper guidance obviously uh, do something which helps your body to practice detachment another important aspect in uh, being content is i think the easiest way i've seen which people learn to be content is by cooking mm. learn to sort of cook something new Mm-hmm. when you actually put that effort into understanding a recipe and you saw all your five senses in the process of creating a dish mm. in fact before having the food you are already content that mm. it's going to be good mm. you're going to be always happy with what you have prepared mm. and and it's a nice way to actually learn to be content and there is love in that cooking and that itself uh, is is a good recipe for health yeah silence is also very important which i feel is uh, there's a lot of noise around us and like now we are using this mm-hmm. headphone it creates that feeling of a uh, 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 silence and and silence is very powerful uh, like we were talking about the dopamine fast it's mm-hmm. like a moment of yeah dopamine fast so mm-hmm. you are actually able to observe things in in its real sense mm-hmm. and that's also a pathway towards uh, being more content and enlightened it's what monks do isn't it it's what they practice is abstinence from from life really but it's what we should be doing more of just to appreciate what we have more so i think when we're charging around and we're so busy we kind of build up all this clutter don't we and then we can't really see what we've got yeah we are not enjoying this moment which is very important we are uh, thinking about the next project next moment next uh, sensual pleasure to mm. encounter 
without actually enjoying what's happening right now mm. which is quite meaningless when we slow down we get to enjoy what's happening right now yeah and how do you find happiness in your day to day are there any practices that you put in place obviously you're a devotee of meditation and yoga are there any other things that bring you joy i think i i, I actually uh, like a bit of uh, quiet time we all actually uh, spend a lot of time thinking about others and the things around us mm. i like you know the most uh, beautiful thing about living in uk you know, i i used to live in uh, uh, near ananda when i was working there in rishikesh which is also beautiful mm. but i think i like the quietness you know the first thing which i noticed coming to uk uk is quieter than india mm. uh, might not be a surprising thing for you but it's a big sort of change so i like actually a, a a good walk around the place it doesn't matter even if it is raining or even if it is uh, very cold i actually make sure i get a quiet walk mm-hmm. uh, which which almost is like a, a meditation but also at the same time being sort of you know human beings have been always been at uh, the mercy of of the environment with the nature nature tells us what food is available what climate is there for us it's it's all we are at the mercy of nature and when we actually move into our cocoons like temperature controlled rooms mm. all the time we forget that aspect that we are an organism in this big picture of this environment we are just a another animal which which mm. which is which has learned to survive in a different way mm. so it helps me sort of connect to the nature understand uh, the the environment around us and then be grateful for what i have got and the time i have got to do this so mm. i think walking is a, a beautiful way and i am near sussex so i've got beautiful. the south downs and Wow. Nice parks around me. I'm yeah, lucky. Yeah, that's amazing. And I felt compelled to leave London and move to the seaside. I I really get my kind of fix there. And I feel most connected to the higher being, whatever whatever it is, when I'm walking in nature by the sea. It just it's a real really spiritual moment for me. And um yeah, it and especially I've been with a dog as well. I don't know if you find animals very spiritual, but I I certainly do. They kind of um they just bring me back into the present i think and stop me from overthinking too much they are they are innocent and innocent. and and that is a quality of godliness yeah. I, i think um and i think being a person from kerala i also see sea as a very important aspect we have the southern tip of india we have sea in everywhere it's like a small patch of land mm. uh, where sea is near to us from every part of the state mm. and the place i practice now in portslay near brighton i can see sea from my consultation room so it, it actually has a very profound sort of impact on me as well yeah, yeah i completely agree it's a bit windy otherwise i would have walked there <laughs> <laughs> it is a little bit windy in brighton <laughs> yeah what's well, up to matthew thank you so much for coming on the podcast today it's been a real pleasure talking to you thank you very much thank you If you have any questions about today's podcast, please drop us a line at hello at whateveryourdose.com. 